Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Welcome to Board Game with Education. I have a very awesome special guest with me today, John Cassie. He is in Orange County, and I just found out that we might be able to meet up this fall. Sweet. And he is a teacher, administrator, gamifier, all-around awesome educator. John, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Hello, listeners. My name is John Cassie. Uh, I am, as uh, Dustin said, I'm a, a teacher, I'm an administrator, I'm an educator. I'm really interested in uh, game-based learning, gamified instruction. I've taught a million different things in my career. Uh, you know, I'm in my third decade, you know, as an educator. And right now I'm teaching entrepreneurship and I use games when I'm teaching entrepreneurship. And uh, you know, the nature of entrepreneurial education is that it's often highly competitive. So I don't need to don't need to overdo it. You know, in some cases, it's better just to let the kids, you know, kind of lean into it rather than, uh, you know, kind of beating them over the head with it. But, uh, you know, and I've taught game design and I've taught history in English and Latin. And right now in my job, my, my title is Director of Curriculum and Innovation. So my responsibilities are to, to help my colleague teachers improve their practice uh, along whatever line or, or perspective you know, is most appropriate for them and for their kids. So it's really highly individualized as it should be. Awesome. Before we get into more of uh, what you do and game level learn, can you tell us a time that you've learned something through games? You know, there have been, you know, kind of any number of, uh, any number of experiences where games have really helped to shape my own, you know, my own learning experience. I can remember as a kid learning a lot about kind of economics and how those uh, systems work by playing games like the old, 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 you know, Avalon Hill game called uh, the stock market game, which is not a, it's not a very sophisticated uh, simulation of the stock market. But in all fairness, it was, it was a, a really good example for me of, uh, of how you might learn in a classroom by means of a you know a game that exists and of course in playing games you know just with friends or whatever i've learned a great deal about notions of collaboration and and uh, you know I- identity and what does it mean to see a problem from someone else's perspective well if you're going to game master a role playing game and i've been game mastering since i was a wee lad you know, my first game mastering experience was in 1979. So those kinds of experiences are really, really, really profound in developing perspective taking and uh, empathy and and sort of awareness of where other people are coming from and their needs, etc. So and, and, you know, I mean, I could talk role playing games and those kind of experiences virtually forever. So that might be you know, a, a, a subject for kind of down the road, but uh, that's that's kind of where I would that's kind of where I would land. That's really cool. I think I maybe envy you a little bit because I I love I think I love being a game master, but I'm very bad at role playing games. So I'm trying to play them more often so I can take on that game master role. So I think I, I think I'd perform in that role a little bit better than the role player 
role. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you put it that way because I was talking with some friends over the weekend and I was doing a little bit of a uh, little bit of game mastering and you know that's sort of the topic of the player versus the game master roles came up and I said you know in in all honesty nobody wanted to gm when I was a kid and I just kind of leaned into it and in time uh, I it just became the role in role playing games that's the one that I play I mean I I think I'm a competent player, but I think I'm a much better game master because it it's hard. Game mastering's really, really hard. And if you've got the ability to see where a story might be going and you're not so hidebound or stuck that you're trying to tell only your story, because of course, ultimately you want your players to make their own decisions. So if if you're if you're able to see where they're coming from and where they're going and how they're going to to respond to a challenge you put in front of them well i mean that's that's super exciting to me and uh you know i've i've long since branched out from you know your sort of your core games you know your dungeons and dragons you know i mean when i played it was first edition you know um so uh, certainly, if you want to hear a lot of more talk from me about role-playing games, you know, the whole third season of Game Level Learn, the podcast Game Level Learn, is all about role-playing and how you can use role-playing mechanics and role-playing techniques to design different kinds of lessons in your, you know, in your, uh, in your classroom. But right now, the games I'm playing are Numenera, which is a kind of sci-fi game game called Hillfolk, which is a really about, it privileges storytelling. It puts the, puts the power of the story largely in the hands of the, um, of the players. And, um, and I've done a little bit of a game called Call of Cthulhu, which uh, is essentially a Lovecraft universe role-playing game. But in it, you take on the role of uh, cats. It's ridiculously good. And, you know, it's super tense as well. Uh, you know, when we, when, when, uh, when we get a chance to, to bring Tracy, my, my dear friend and co-host over at GLL, uh, you know, on to when, when you come and talk to us on, on, on that show, we'll talk a little bit about Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. It's, amazing. it's amazing. That's awesome. So you did mention Game Level Learn. Where did the idea for that come from? So I first started, I finished my doctorate at UCLA in 2010. And when I was done with that, I took sort of six months off from thinking about anything because, you know, getting a doctorate is just a grind. As I've said to students and colleagues and friends, you don't have to be smart to get a doctorate. You just have to be willing to grind and do the work. And I was done. When, and when I was finished with that and coming back out, sort of breathing air again, I went back to, you know, playing a lot of games that I hadn't had a chance to play when I was, uh, you know, when I was really grinding on the work. So I had a, a, a queue, you know, I can't stop myself from buying games because, you know, why, why would I, why would I stop, you know? And so I had this huge queue of unplayed games and as I'm playing them and I'm teaching, I'm thinking, all right, wait a minute, this is maybe what I should have written about. I didn't. And then as I think more and more, 
and I'm playing some video games. I'm playing World of Warcraft, a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And all of that sort of comes together in me thinking, you know, if I took all this stuff from these board games that I love and a structure that was similar to World of Warcraft, I might be able to gamify an entire class, which is what I did in, uh, in 2010 and 2011. After doing that, it occurred to me that, you know, maybe what I should do is write a number of essays and sort of share my perspectives with, with other folks who might be interested in doing the same thing. There wasn't a lot of literature on game-based learning and gamification when I started this. Uh, I mean, there's hardly any now, and there certainly wasn't much then. So I thought, well, you know, let's get it out there and see if there are going to be folks who, who are kind of resonant, you know, with it. And so I put the site up. I thought, okay, well, you know, what might it be? And, you know, I've got, uh, you know, a section called game and a section called level and a section called learn. You know, games are about, you know, games. You know, leveling is about building up your practice as an instructor and learn is about sort of theory in, in game-based learning and gamification. So if you go to gamelevellearn.com and you click on game, you're going to see uh, essentially my, my starter guide. So you're interested in game-based learning, but you don't play games or you haven't played that many. Well, here are all of the mechanics that are identified by Board Game Geek as current and contemporary game mechanics. I take each one, describe what it is, and I pick the five games in that mechanic that I think are the most accessible or the most interesting and tell people to go play them and why. So there's dozens and dozens and dozens of articles about that, and then a bunch of other content as well. The podcast came about because, I mean, frankly, I thought podcasts are pretty great. Why not make one? And, uh, you know, in season one was a lot of, you know, was a lot of me trying to figure out what this might be. Season two, I brought on Tracy as the permanent co-host, and I think it popped a lot more. And in season three, I think, which was about role-playing. Uh, you know, like I said about role-playing games was, I think, I think pretty great. So that's, that's kind of the history of it. You know, it started maybe, what is it? 2019, six years ago, maybe. And, you know, you just keep building it up. It's a, it's a permanent site, you know? Yeah. I think uh, just to piggyback off what you were saying and my experience coming across Game Level Learn about a year and a half ago, I had an idea to gamify the entire course for my university class and so I would, I would throw on your podcast and kind of listen to it and help me generate ideas for my course and what to do. Yeah. So it was very, very helpful for me. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, that it landed for you and that it gave us an opportunity to connect, you know, that there aren't that many of us, <laughs> you know, in the world <laughs> right. doing the work. Right. And, you know, I, I, I'm always excited when I get, when I get emails, people reaching out, Hey, you want to be on this show? You want to be on that? you want to work together? You want to try something? Absolutely. I'll try anything. Yeah, it's it's really cool too because I've been using games in my class. I think the first year I started teaching, I, I used a game in my class and realized this this works. And I adapted some mechanics based on our feedback system of giving stars. And instead, I used Avengers. And students would choose an Avenger and their Avenger would move across the board to fight Loki at the time. Love it. Yeah. Love but it. Just recently, I mean, I would say about two years ago, I discovered there's there's a community of educators that 
that do this and help each other to grow in this type of field. Right. Right. Yeah. This is why when I go to game conventions like, uh, like Origins or Gen Con, Strategic Con, BGG Con, whatever, uh, I always, I always offer to present, you know, three or four or five times on, on these topics. And I always do a, you know, an, an, an introduction, the, you know, level one of gamifying instruction. You know, folks don't even know what the difference between game-based learning and gamification is. Well, if you don't know that, you're going to struggle. I mean, that's the, that's the basic, right? And then I also offer, you know, courses that are more advanced topics, you know, turning your class into an MMO or, you know, what, it, what does loot look like or, you know, that kind of thing, right? Here are, here are eight anchor games, you know, take any one of these games and here's how you can use it as game-based learning. Here's how you could use it as gamified instruction. Here's how you could use it with really young, middle school, upper school, or college or professional contexts, right? Yeah, you just got to get out there, you know? Right. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. You mentioned game-based learning and gamification. That's one thing I, because I've, I did a little research on game-based learning in English language education. Would you mind just quickly explaining the difference between those two? In game-based learning, you take a game that exists in some form. It's a video game. It's a card game. It's a board game. And you play it out of the box unmodified because the game as designed is both playful and engaging and also accomplishes some kind of curricular goal that you have that that is served by whatever the game is doing, right? At the end of the day, any lesson that isn't about some kind of learning objective is flawed. So if you're, if the game you pick will advance you towards a goal you have and you play it just as is, that's game-based learning. Gamification is I'm going to take a game and strip out its content, leaving only its mechanics. I'm then going to use those mechanics, insert into them my content and skills, and from there my students will learn playfully, right? So, so th th this is, the, you know, the example of, of the first is uh, I use a great board game called Letters from Whitechapel, which is a cooperative versus one uh, set in London in the 1880s about Jack the Ripper. The Jack player is trying to commit the, the, the murders for which he's known and then escape by means of secret movement to his home base. All the other players play the police trying to catch him. I use this in my class because there is no better game in my judgment to demonstrate how collaboration and clear, effective communication makes an impossible problem solvable. So we have a group of kids playing against me, and I'll have other kids in the class sort of sitting around me fishbowl style, and they're taking notes on what the active team is doing or not doing effectively. And then, so the, the skill here is not, well, I want you to learn about London in the 1890s. That's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because I want you to focus on the meta learning skill of collaboration because entrepreneurs who don't collaborate don't succeed. Entrepreneurs who can't communicate effectively don't get their products out. So that's, that's an example of, of the first of the second would be 
uh, uh, gamification. Okay, well, I'm going to take the leveling scheme that exists in World of Warcraft and the questing structures, and rather than having my learners play WoW, I'm just going to take the way that those work and construct content and skill-based structures of learning that will help uh, my students develop their skills over time, just like you develop your ability to play that game over time by playing it. Right. That was, I think that was perfect, perfect explanation there. Can you tell us maybe something you've learned through using games in class? Whew. Yeah, I could talk about that forever too, right? You know, wh- one of the things that, that has come to mind, I'll, I'll, I'll pick two things. One, you got to start this early. Because if you start it with a 12th grader who's not already accustomed to the inevitable reversals that come when you're playing a game, you know, sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. And, and if you're not accustomed to trying something and having it not work and then sort of pivoting out of how it didn't work, learning that, figuring it out, overcoming it, then some students, they just, they, they don't have a lot of resilience and they sort of break down. So you have to be prepared to provide a level of pastoral care and emotional support, frankly, that I wasn't prepared to, to think about when I started it. You know what? I'll do three things. Two, you'll also have players who are learners who are actually kind of good at games and you need to be prepared to pivot on the fly to respond to the ways in which they find holes in your rules or manipulate the way that you've structured the situation. It becomes like being a good game master. You have to anticipate where they might go three turns from now and be prepared to, you know, to, to, to deal with whatever they present you. Cause if you railroad them, if you don't let them make their own choices, they don't feel like they're playing a game anymore. Now it's back to, Oh, the teacher's teaching. And I'm listening. I'm not making decisions that matter. You don't want that. You want the decisions to always feel like they, uh, you know, they really kind of resonate, you know, and, and, and matter for the, for the student. Right. I had three and now the third one's gone out of my head. All right. Well, if it comes back. Oh, I know. The third one was, uh, uh, was about cognitive load. The design, when I did this America 3.0 class, this fully gamified class for the first time, I had, uh, I had set the bar way, way, way too high. So I had to nerf the, I had to nerf instruction almost immediately because I thought that they could manage a certain body of, you know, of work. And I just, I was just wrong. So I, you know, you have to be prepared to, to, to respond to the needs of your learners if you've designed a game that proves to be a little too hard or indeed a little too easy, right? Right. I, uh, I like the nerf instruction using a gaming term <laughs> to nerf it. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, I, as I've said in any presentation I've done, you have to do all of your preparation for game-based learning before you ever see a student. Because if you don't, then you will not have enough time to respond to all of the things that you've done with a good heart, but not correctly, that require you to, you have to, you have to fix them. And if you're trying to prep quest trees and all this kind of stuff, it's just the whole system's going to fall apart. You know, no, uh, no gamified experience survives first contact intact. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I learned that lesson in my university courses. We did, uh, Sherlock Holmes and 
they formed detective groups and they had to, they gained knowledge points throughout the semester for completing tasks or coming to class. And then the detective groups to solve the mystery they had to, I don't know if you've played Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, but they're. Oh yeah. That's murder. <laughs> that game's super hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to rewrite the language in the game to make it more simple for language learners, but and I think it was very valuable in helping reading comprehension and uh, deduction, different skills like that. But yeah, it was it was tough. And then I didn't prep all the materials. Mm. And so mm-hmm. it was getting in the way of other mm. <laughs> other teaching duties. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I did hundreds of hours of prep to get ready. And... At least half of it was clearly not going to be usable as designed on like day two. It's like this clearly is not going to work. So it's a good thing it was done so I could I could tinker with it. It's like it, it's it's like this notion that what what if you want to write a book, what should you do? Write. Write the book. You can't you can't fix anything that isn't there. Get anything down. It doesn't matter. Write. Write every day and you'll have a book. And then once you have something, you can start to edit and tinker and, and fiddle, right? I mean, my own book, which um, came out in 2016, I started working on that in 2013. It took three years to write. And I can, I can assure you that of the, the 50,000 words in that book, there's another 35,000 sitting in, in, uh, you know, in Google Cloud Storage right now because it got cut. That's just the way it is. But the book that was published is way better than the book that I wrote that was the first draft. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'd love to compare, I mean, you're using book writing. I'd love to compare game design, like making a board game with building lessons for game-based learning. Because you, yeah. you, you have to know your game. You have to maybe implement it in class. And then the next year you're changing some things and refining elements of the lesson. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it has to be there to be iterated. Right. Right. If you don't, if you don't have it, uh, if you don't have it doing its thing, success or not, then you're, you're not doing it yet. Right. You can't, you can't make it up. You can't do it on the fly. So. Give it a go and see what happens. And, you know, call, call folks like you or me, right? I mean, my email's out, out. You can find my email anywhere. If you're trying this and it isn't working, email me. I'll give you, I'll give you time. Happy to. Yeah, that's, that's really kind, kind of you, too. I think, I think some people will likely take you up on that. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. So maybe we can dig in a little bit more and ask about one of the most successful times of using games and maybe one of the most challenging or times you really learned from an experience and had to change. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think I think, uh, you know, I've kind of hit on the challenging part, right? You know, this this first go of this America 3.0 class and having having it be really too much a drinking from the fire hose experience. It's just too too difficult. Too much stuff coming in, uh, you know, at uh, uh, you know at the students I was teaching all all at once, and so having to figure out how to dial it back. I don't want to lose the essence of the content and skills, so uh, it really became uh, a matter of of 
constantly refocusing, asking colleagues what they thought. Well, what if I what if I pivoted away from this? Do you think that a student could make the leap between this perspective and this one? Um, expecting a, a not quite as nuanced a range of skills as I had originally intended. Um, you know, all, all of those things uh, were were really really hard. Totally worthwhile. Right. Probably the most successful experience was uh, in in 2012. I taught the uh, I taught a course on the election of 2012, um, and incorporated into it a large number of role playing kinds of mechanics, whereby I divided the class into a team Obama and a team Romney, and ask them to create avatars to identify themselves within those organizations, you know, and, um, and then presented them over the course of the entire course, you know, over August to, uh, you know, to November with challenges that were drawn from the news or that were news related. And the teams had to work together to play their roles, figure out how they were going to represent the different sides and perspectives and as each uh, as each crisis resolved itself, I changed a master electoral college polling map that I was maintaining in our learning management software system to let folks know how the you know how the country was sort of pivoting based on you know on what they learned from uh, you know from what they had just been been told by each team. The students reported that it was a really powerful experience. They they learned a lot about how kind of difficult it is to be both on the on the side of the administration or indeed you know trying to run against a president and uh, you know having always to deal with the news media that's kind of grinding on you more than perhaps they're grinding on the president and uh, the fact that we would be just be doing our regular work and then I would stop what I was doing and break in with you know okay well folks here's a here's a bit of news that you need to respond to in the middle of class. You know, we might, we might do it for five or six minutes. We might do it for 10 minutes or, you know, in, in one case, you know, we spent the entire 75 minutes working on one extended problem and I extended it out into classes that, that went after it. So that, that, that's, those are sort of big picture examples, but I mean, I use, I use games all the time, you know, like, like this letters from Whitechapel thing I was talking about, you know, I mean, I, we, we play that all the time, you know, uh, you know, every year. And, you know, and other things. And I help my colleagues to do the same, right? Using breakout boxes, designing the classes to function like escape rooms. And in, in some cases with those who have more uh, gaming savvy to actually pull mechanics from games and, and use them that way. That's really cool. I think that election course, I imagine the students for the rest of their lives are going to be hyper aware and conscious of the election process. Totally. They can't not be. The, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, right. The, they, I mean, they played. They played through it, which is really cool. They experienced it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was great. So you also host a conference. You mentioned. Can you tell us more about that conference? Sure. Last year, for the first time, a colleague of mine here in the Southern California area organized and hosted Game Level Learn Con. Uh, we called it Game Level Learn Con eighteen because it was in two thousand eighteen even though I think that's a little confusing now. So the next one that we're going to do this year might be Game Level Learn Con 2. But it was essentially uh, an opportunity to bring 
game-based teachers and gamifiers from around Southern California. And some people traveled from as far away as Colorado to come together basically for a day of focused and really intense learning with each other. You know, I spoke about using role-playing games to develop social emotional learning skills. Uh, we had colleagues who were in science talking about games to learn about ecosystem management and uh, those who were using games like Pokemon Go and uh, you know games for uh, for gender equity and gaming how do you how do you teach game design to a kindergartner stuff like that oh, wow. and you know you can see the program on the game level learn page and you know any of those teachers who who uh, you know who worked with us are going to be interested in in talking to you all too we had about uh, 30 30 people attend which i thought that's not too bad given that gen con which now has 65,000 attendees started with 12. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, because this is still a kind of a niche thing and getting that many folks to come when I only really advertised in the Southern California area was, uh, was we thought, pretty amazing. And the learning was so good going from session to session and just marveling at people and lunch, you know, at people talking about all kinds of topics and really riffing on you know, not just game-based learning, but project-based learning, gamification, and all these kind of notions. And, you know, after the conference was over, we did a three-hour, basically a, basically a play session. You know, bring your games. Let's play some things together. Yeah, I, I always uh, feel really fortunate. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I feel like I stumbled into the three best communities and that's podcasting education and games yeah rock on right yeah couldn't agree more so when is when is the conference what's the date uh we haven't set the date yet but it's probably going to be in in uh late october or early november okay so the usually the fall okay awesome yeah i'll be back back in la and it'll be advertised on game level learn and at the game level learn facebook group GameLevelLearn.com and Game Level Learn Facebook. I will likely be there since I'll be back in Los Angeles. So I'm really excited for that. Outstanding. Awesome. So the last question, and it goes like this. If you are stuck on a deserted island. And you only had three board games. What three board games would you bring? Good grief. Dustin, you're killing me. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, th th this list could clearly change. Okay. I'm going to pick an old classic called Acquire. Do you know it? I know of it. I've never, never played it, but I know of the game. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, w when you get to Southern California, Dustin... We'll have you over and we'll play Acquire. Awesome. Acquire is essentially a very straightforward but very powerful uh, economic development game where you are uh, you're investing in shares in hotel chains and you're trying to get your chains to merge with other chains in such a way that you make more money than your opponents. It's a classic example of a tiny little rule set generating enormous replayability. I've played it dozens of times and every game has been totally different from every other game so i'm going to bring that okay okay second i'm going to bring a, another great classic from the 90s by 
Reiner Kinesia called Modern Art. Oh, okay. Okay. I love the auction mechanic. And Modern Art's auction mechanic is virtually perfect. Plays in minutes. It is very pleasantly difficult. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the art in the new edition is beautiful. And even more so, there's a, there was an edition published in Brazil. The game doesn't, doesn't require language. It's language independent. So if you can find the Brazilian version, oh, my Lord, it's beautiful, right? Um, so I take Modern Art, and the third game... Okay, well, I'm going to choose a classic dexterity game, because I like dexterity games, called Villa Paletti. In Villa Paletti, you are building a, uh, a structure from wooden dowels and wooden uh, bases that, as it gets taller, becomes ever more unstable. But you are nevertheless required to continue building up. It doesn't look like much. It, the, the pieces are beautiful, but it doesn't look like there's a lot going on. But just like with the other two, simple rule set, extraordinary gameplay. Awesome. I haven't played any of those. I know of Acquired Modern Art, but I haven't heard of Villa Paletti. Maybe I've seen it, but... Maybe. Yeah, it, it once spilled as Yaris in 2002 or three, something like that. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of, you know, the, the Germans make so many different kinds of games and they really like dexterity games. So there's a whole cluster of them that, you know, that I've written about and that I used to talk about because they're accessible to a, to a very broad audience, right? You can play a dexterity game with a, an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old and acquire you can't, you know? Yeah, I have a dexterity game that I use with a lot of younger learners called Noah's Ark, Don't Rock the Boat. And the students, they create sentences with like adjectives and different animals. And students love that game. Yeah, I mean, look, the uh, the nice thing about a dexterity game is that they're all very charismatic. You look at them and it's like, ooh, that looks fun. And that can go a long way towards getting folks who maybe aren't fully into games into them and you know from there onward you know right yeah they're they're very charming i would say yeah for sure precisely precisely yeah so so there it is so john thank you again for sharing your insights i know our listeners will find it very valuable before you go where can they reach out to you i know you mentioned game level learn and do you have any projects coming up that you want to share so uh where can folks reach out to me? I'm I'm all I'm I'm sort of all over the place, but start with the you know email, John Cassie at Gmail, gamelevelearn.com. On Facebook, I'm uh Jonathan Cassie, I think. And on Twitter at John Cassie. And same with Instagram. If you want to follow me there, I don't I actually mostly my photos are games, actually. So that might not be a bad place to start. My book was published in 2016 by ASCD find it on Amazon or anywhere. It's called Level Up Your Classroom. And I'm going to be at Origins in Columbus in 2019, this year, next month. And uh, Game Level Learn Con 
you know, in October, November. And of course, listen to Game Level Learn, the podcast. We've done three seasons, about 30 episodes, you know, rate and review. Awesome. So thank you again for coming on and sharing your insights. Sure thing. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening and until next time.